Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Talking Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here with John Harlow as we bring another great episode of Talking Circles. Today we're going to talk about the New Hampshire 301 from the New Hampshire Motor Speedway on Sunday, which resulted in Matt Kenseth's 39th career victory. Uh, we'll talk about Kenseth's penalty following the race. Um, then, of course, we'll talk about our disappointments and attaboys from the weekend. Also, silly season rumors have ramped up a little bit here. Some rumors about Eric Jones and, and maybe Ryan Newman. Also, uh, an update on Dale Earnhardt Jr. and what we think will happen this weekend. Plus, we'll take your phone calls at 917-889-8280. Anytime you want to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles, that is a number called 917-889-8280. Let's get right to it, John Harlow here. The New Hampshire 301, it was Matt Kenseth's 39th career NASCAR Sprint Cup Series victory. He outran Joe Logano on a late restart there um, and, and won his 39th race. Came with a little bit of controversy um, his car at, the, at post-race failed post-race laser inspection. So that's a little interesting feat to keep in mind there. But Kenseth, uh, really, JGR, I thought, dominated the whole race. Uh, they had a lot of issues there toward the end. I thought Kyle Busch kind of had some issues. Hamlin had some issues on a restart. They both got moved out of the way. But Kenseth was really the only JGR car. Obviously, Truex had the uh, shifter problem. The only JGR car not to have an issue, and he was able to, to prevail and win his 39th career NASCAR Sprint Cup Series victory, John Harlow. Uh, it was a great day for Toyota. I mean, they led all but two laps. I mean, Toyota dominated the field all day, and everybody's trying to catch up to him. Um, the one thing that shocked me, I mean, Kenseth, his pit crew is always solid. They always make up a spot or two when they're in the pits, and when you get Kenseth in clean air, he's really tough to beat. The thing that surprised me out of this race was, how crazy the restarts were because, I mean, the turns at New Hampshire are basically one groove. There is no top groove because it's a flat track. So everybody's trying the bum rush into turn one to get everybody so they can hit the turn at the same time. And you see people getting bumped out of the way and all that good stuff. And it made for excitement to start. But once they got running, it sort of spread itself out, which doesn't pertain to great racing. But, I mean, you really didn't hear many drivers complaining about it. They were saying they could move around each other and all that and everything like that. The other thing that surprised me, it's the third race in a row that there was not a Hendrick Motorsports car in the top ten. And I was reading Larry Mack's column on uh, in foxsports.com, and Larry Mack said the last time that happened, he was on the box. He was a pit crew. He was a crew chief the last time Hendrick did not have a car in the top ten three races in a row. So it shows that there is a big malfunction at Hedrick Motorsports. It shows that Toyota is doing what they're doing right. And the other thing I think it shows is Stuart Haas is starting to really come around. Tony with a second-place finish. Harvick, even though he wanted to choke every crew member, it seemed like, finishing fourth. And Kurt Busch was competitive all day before he got shuffled out in the bumping and running on that last restart. Yeah, it was a good run for Stuart Haas Racing. You're absolutely correct on that. Uh, Kurt's had a really good year, quietly. He's had a really strong year. He got, you know, had this incident at the end that really hurt his finishing result, but he's had a really solid year all day long. I thought the race was interesting. It was it was kind of, I, I thought, lackluster early to start with. Those first 200 laps were really, really rough to watch. Uh, I didn't think the racing was all that great, but you're right. Once the restarts happened, you know, they kind of threw that debris caution, and once the debris caution happened there with 80 to go, it just seemed like everything ramped up a little bit. Um, and they weren't worried about saving fuel or saving tires and all that. It was just kind of like, let's go for it. And they did, and a lot of accidents happened. Took out a lot of front-running runner, front running cars. Alex Bowman, who was having a great run filling in for Dale Earnhardt Jr., was running and passing for a seventh position. When a tire blew, he crashed. Like we mentioned, Kurt Busch had gotten an incident with Brad Keselowski and Joe Logano. Logano ended up finishing third. Uh, and then Carl Edwards crashed a couple of laps later with uh, Kyle Larson and Ryan Newman. So it just seemed like a lot of the front runners there had some issues towards the tail end of that race. So that made it a little bit interesting. But you're right, you know, Stewart House Racing was really good. Tony Stewart, a second-place run. He wasn't great all day. But once he got the track position, he was able to stay up there, um, finish in the runner-up spot. And New Hampshire is so important. 
It's so hard to pass there. Track position is key. And once they got the track position, you know, and once those, all those cars started to wreck, it seemed like it was easier to get the track position, obviously, because you had a lot of cars wrecked. And Tony was able to stay up there. Got Logano there for, for a second. I uh, just couldn't chase down Matt Kenneth there for the win. The one thing you saw out of it, and Tony talked about it in his post-race interview, was the one time they took two tires and it just didn't work for them, and they went sliding back in the field. So the rest of the race, they took four tires, and the last pit stop, Smoke took four. Everybody else started taking two, and those extra two tires made a big difference because they were moving themselves up through the field. When they hit sixth on that last restart, they're on the outside. By the time they got to turn one, the first three cars of Kenseth, Stewart, I mean, yeah, Kenseth, Logano, and Stewart all cleared the inside row. So he went from sixth to third between the start-finish line and turn one, and all he had to do was pick off Logano, which he gave him a little nudge. I mean, the one thing that was really funny is listening to Stewart was the people who've been using him up, he's going to use them up because we're here for real now. And I think Keselowski found out the hard way because he said at one point Keselowski tried to put him into the grass, so he got a little bit of showing Keselowski that, hey, we're here for real. And he did a bump and run on Logano coming out of four to get by him on the front stretch. So Stewart's for real right now. I mean, and it's working out right. I mean, you look, it was 95 degrees in New Hampshire. I mean, everybody says, I mean, you hear summertime is Stewart time, and when you say it on – some of the Sirius XM shows, they go crazy about it, but let's do the math. It's getting hot. The, cl- the tracks are slick. Tony is back to being Tony, it seems, and he's making passes where people aren't, and he's able to hold on to the race car, and the hot, slick conditions, he loves it. And he's got a great track coming up in New Hampshire next week, or excuse me, at Indianapolis next weekend as well, so that's something to keep an eye on. Harvick's uh, incident with his pit crew was interesting. I, I heard a lot of flack from Harvick today, and I'm not for people yelling at pit crews and stuff like that. I think it's, uh, especially when you think about it, the driver is a guy who, um, you know, he, he makes a very good living off of what, what happens in there, and I know that these drivers are emotional. Um, but don't chew the mic when you do that stuff. But I think it was more for Harvick this weekend, was it was more of a, of almost like a, hey, let's get it going here. This is, you know, this isn't once or twice this has happened to him. This has happened to him a lot. I think it was a little bit of frustration as well. We talked about it earlier. Joe Gibbs Racing and Toyota was, was dominant, and the only way they, you know, not the only way, but part of the reason why where they're probably behind a little bit on them is um, is on pit road. I think they, they know they're a little bit behind on pit road, and any time they make a mistake, that even emphasizes it even more. Well, maybe they can beat them once or twice off pit road, but if they keep making mistakes, they're not going to do it. But uh, it's interesting, you know, I think, for Harvick, the good thing is he's locked into the chase. You know, he doesn't need he doesn't need to win these races, so get those mistakes out now until we get to the chase time. Uh, but it's going to be something interesting to keep an eye on, John Harlow, as you look forward. Will they make a pick, or pick crew change on that on that four car? But it just seems like Harvick every year always has a problem with his pick crew. And I don't know if it's Harvick being Harvick and he complains about his pick crew a lot or if it's just something that uh, – that just seems to happen to him a lot, but it seems like every year at this time, Harvick's always really hard on this picker. What do you think, John? I think this is a repeat of the year Harvick won the championship. He was griping, moaning, complaining about his pit crew, and Tony swapped it with his team. And Tony's pit crew won the championship with Harvick. And the crew that Stewart had on the 14 car had been together since they started the 14 car. Now they're together with the four, and now all of a sudden the four pit crew isn't any good. I don't know if it is Harvick. I don't know if they're making mistakes, but it, they are getting beat on pit road. I mean, you saw it. He would race himself up to fourth or fifth, and he'd come out of the pits ninth or tenth. And on a track where um, your position is, I mean, Track position is key at New Hampshire. If you're losing spots on pit road, it makes it even tougher to get up there and even challenge for a win. The fact that Harvick made it to fourth place was a phenomenal run on Harvick's part because he kept losing four or five spots every time they went in. 
I think something will either they'll swap out members with somebody, but, I mean, Danica's crew sitting there. They haven't really had any pressure on them ever, so who knows what they're going to get. They're not going to switch with Kurt, Kurt Bush's crew. They've been together since they were back at DEI, so that's not going to change. Stewart's contending now, so I don't think he's going to give up his pit crew for his last season in Cup. It's going to no. be interesting to see what happens with that 4-2. Yeah, and I know they have a – I don't know if it's still this way. There is a team or two out there that they have a pit crew alliance with. Maybe they can pull a guy or two if they have to, but it should be interesting. I mean, it's just something to keep an eye on. Harvick always seems to have a problem with pit crew. He's very vocal. We know that. He's always been very vocal. He's vocal about a lot of things, uh, and it should be interesting to keep an eye on as well. But, you know, John, it was a, it was a decent race yesterday. We'll get into the, to the racing in a little bit here, but – um, the big storyline after the race was Matt Kenseth. Matt Kenseth's car failed post-race laser inspection. The car will be taken back to NASCAR's Research and Development Center in Concord, North Carolina, for further evaluation. There is talk right now that Kenseth may lose the three bonus points that, that happens for the chase, but he'll keep the win, which this is his second win in 2016. He will keep the win. Um, I, I've gone back and forth between this. Listen, you know, to me it depends on how badly the car was over the line. And I know you say, well, you can't look at intent. But to me it does. If this car is one centimeter too low or something that has very little to do with the uh, how they performed on Sunday, I think taking the win away is very, very strict. But if this car is really, really... Uh, Enhances the perform this penalty enhances the performance of the of the number twenty team. Then I'm all for taking the win away because right now you look at it. Even if you get the fifteen point penalty and those three bonus points taken away for the chase, it's not that big of a deal. But again, I think the rules are so tight. They were really strict this weekend. They even strict during qualifying. There was talk they weren't going to get all the cars inspected for qualifying. I think they were extra strict this weekend because this is a chase track. They wanted to really emphasize the rules here, and I think that has a lot to do with it. And maybe that's why Kenseth's car was over the tolerances a little bit. Um, it's a laser thing, so it's not exact. You know, it's very, very precise. And NASCAR took it back to the R&D center to see if something maybe broke on the car or whatnot. But again, John Harlow, I'll say this: if it's way over the line, if it's a major, if it helps him majorly, I'm all for taking the win away. But if it's centimeters to very little helping him. I'm not sure that's worth it, in my opinion. Well, the thing is, this is the fourth time that the 20 car has had laser trouble. They've had two or three three of them in pre-qualifying where they've struggled to get it through laser, and then they have it again after the race. What's going to be really interesting is tomorrow morning, NASCAR.com is live streaming the post-race inspection process where they're going to show what they do to the 20 car and the 14 car at the Research and Development Center in Concord, which for me is, wow, NASCAR never does something like this. They're going to basically lay out everything to say, here you go, because a lot of times you'll hear that somebody got a penalty they get suspended for it, there's the appeal, and all it is is it seems like everything's behind closed doors. Here you go, you're going to see what was out of whack, which is something that NASCAR has never done, and I give them, for one of the few times, I give NASCAR big kudos for doing this. For people who care, you're going to see what happened, and you're going to see why Tony Stewart's car was in the laser thing. You're going to see why Kenseth wasn't. And if it is getting side force at New Hampshire, every bit of side force will help you get around that flat turn. So at New Hampshire, if it's a millimeter over, that gives you an advantage over everybody else on those turns. If it's a high bank thing, it's different. I mean, if it's a short track, it's different. But to get around New Hampshire Motor Speedway, you need as much side force as you can to help pin it down going into the turn, help it roll through the center, and help it come off. That's going to be a big thing tomorrow that's really cool that NASCAR is actually live-streaming this. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see that, John. I agree with you. You know, but you know, I had a problem even a bunch of years ago when Clint Boyer was running a 33 car and he won 
at New Hampshire in the first race of the chase, uh, and they busted his chops for something that a bar was pressed too much by one sixteenth of an inch too much in the rear of the car, and it really didn't help Clint, but they really penalized him a lot and it hurt his chance of the championship. Really, I believe, took him out of the championship. Um, I'm all for opening up the rules. I really am. So, again, I, you know, how much does one centimeter help that side force and whatnot? I think you can get varying opinions from people. And I know NASCAR is trying to keep it in the rules, and I understand that completely. Um, and if you let one centimeter go, then how? Then why don't you let two centimeters go and stuff like that? Uh, so that that's a, definitely a, a great point. But, again, you know, taking the win away to me is a very, very stiff uh, penalty. And should, whether or not he's Kenton's would have won that race or not, without that, I mean, who knows? But uh, I just think that taking the win away is a very stiff penalty. And it's something that I'm, with this era, with what we see with, you know, points really don't matter if you want to race, uh, they're going for wins. So I'm not sure that a penalty is going to hurt Kenta too badly. Even if they take the three bonus points away, yeah, it'll hurt him a little bit, but it's really not going to hurt him too badly. Where taking the win away would hurt this team badly, it would make him look bad. And I'm not for the fact that, well, when people leave the racetrack, they need to know who the right winner is. Listen, people probably listening to the race on the radio anyway. They have social media now. We, and that, that's an old-school theory, in my opinion. So I, I don't agree with that either. But, um, again, it just it, you're, you're pushing a fine line there where if one centimeter takes a one away from a guy, I'm not sure that I could live with that. I think the rules are set for a reason. If you're driving down the road, there are some cops that are going to let you go 65 and a 55 or 64 and a 55. There's going to be some guy who's going to ping you at 56. But the speed limit is posted. It's the rules. NASCAR, I mean, they give you a speed limit on pit road, and they let you have up to five miles an hour over it. Why not just post a speed limit of 50 if you're going to say it's 45? If you're going to give it that, I mean, put the rule book there. This is what it is. If you're out of the rule book, if you are out of tolerance, if once they go through and do the final check, if they fail inspection tomorrow, the car should be disqualified. They, it doesn't matter if they won the race or not, or how we speculate could they have won the race or not. The car ended up being illegal. Let's look at it. If it's illegal, the car loses the race, the win goes away, the winner is second place, and nobody will cheat anymore. If you take race yeah, wins away from people, they're not going to cheat. I agree. I totally agree with that. And I, again, I'm, I'm all for where the Snowball Derby does it. They take wins away and all that kind of stuff. I'm all for that. I really am. But again, you know, the way I look, and you're right, if they weren't in the rules, you know, you have to look at it. But I just have a big problem if something's one centimeter, they're going to take a win away. We have a caller here, John. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? What do you want to talk about tonight? Hey, uh, this is Wes from New Hampshire. How are you guys tonight? Uh, we're well, Wes. And what do you want to talk about? Uh, I kind of want to vent some frustrations about uh, New Hampshire Motor Speedway. In all honesty, uh, I'm very, um, very upset with what I kind of saw uh, this past weekend. You know, um, I've been going to races here since about, I guess my first race was 2008, and uh, the, the turnout I saw for this race was just quite shocking. I mean, I, I couldn't believe uh, the lack of people there, and uh, it's I don't know. It is just really shocking. Um, I, I've been I've talked to people like Clayton, you know, through Facebook and whatnot about just the amount of reasons like they're raising ticket prices for no apparent reason, and then people just aren't coming out to this race. And I think that's a lot of uh, a lot of factors in that. You know, uh, one was the on-track product we saw Sunday was not that great. I mean. All the other tracks we've seen them show up at, you've seen cars being able to pass, but for some reason the the track in New Hampshire is just not conducive for uh, passing at all, and it's it really showed on Sunday. Yeah, I, I you know so you brought up a lot there, Weston. Uh, and the first thing I want to talk about is, is I was shocked in the crowd, and, and maybe the weather had a little bit to do with it, but uh, New Hampshire usually is very is rock solid with attendance. 
and it looked it was very very uh, empty this weekend. Well, you know, very scarce I should say this weekend. It was a, it was surprising because New Hampshire is usually a track where I've been there a couple of times. You know, it's hard to get a seat in that place, and it's been sold out numerous times. They get two rates. They do they get two dates. They do very well there. It was just curious as to why it was that way. But as far as the racing goes, I agree with you. I don't you know, and. I think we need to look at the slow downforce package on the shorter tracks. I think the slow downforce package has been rock solid on the mile and a half tracks, but maybe we should look at a diff- little bit of a different package for the short tracks. I know NASCAR uh, last year sometime t- t- discussed about having different rule packages for different races where, you know, certain rules were different uh, to-, to help the racing. Uh, maybe a different template for short tracks and a different template for the mile-and-a-half tracks, I'd be all for that. I think we need, definitely need to go to that direction. And I think New Hampshire is a prime example of that. It's always been a track that where, where track position has been a big issue. Um, Ryan Newman calls this place a birthplace of track position. It's always been that way. But uh, there was a time in this, in this sport where this track was a very good track. It was, you could pass here. Uh, yesterday wasn't one of those instances, but... Um, yeah, it, I'm sure it's a little alarming because, you know, IS, or SMI owns a track right now with Bruton Smith. He owns a lot of racetracks, and Bruton's been known to get impatient if the, if the attendance don't pick, doesn't pick up, uh, and if he doesn't like the way things are going, he's been very impatient, and that could force maybe a move to a place like uh, one of the dates to Vegas down the road eventually. Obviously, it's not going to happen right now, but it's just something to keep an eye on, John Hall, I think, as we move forward with New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Well, the one thing is no races are moving for the next nine years because NASCAR has signed contracts with every track for the next nine years to go along with the charter system. Um, I've been to New Hampshire a few times and watched the races up there. It is a track position race. I don't see much of a difference between Sunday's race and the race three years ago. There was maybe a little more passing in the front. The one thing that hurt is they had a 200-lap run where there was hardly any cautions. Um, and and New Hampshire has been known for a long green flag run in the middle where they do get spread out. Whenever they're bunched up, it's great racing. But when they get spread out, it's follow the leader, and it doesn't really make for a great race. It was 95 degrees Sunday, and that's one of the things that was tough about it. And if you have your choice between um, – if you're going to go to the July race when it's 95 and nothing's really on the line, or you can go to the chase race in September and you have to pick one as a family, you're going to the chase race in September because there's more on the line. It's cooler. It's easier. I mean, it's just much better conducive to being a fan because, I mean, I live in Boston it was ungodly hot to go outside and barbecue Sunday. I couldn't do it. And I just couldn't have sat up there for three and a half, four hours, plus the couple hours to get in and the couple hours after. I would have been, I don't know if I would have made it. It was that hot on Sunday. I mean, you saw every driver coming out of there, and they were chugging water, chugging Gatorade, chugging Powerade whenever they got out of the car because it was that hot. I think the racing yeah. at New Hampshire hasn't changed since they started the track, except when they lower. I mean, they paved a little bit better and they moved up about half a groove instead of being all on the bottom. It's now about a groove and a half up, but I mean, it's still the same race it's been since they opened the track up. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. I heard a lot, and you're not wrong on this, John. I heard a lot of people can say that maybe the weather, with it being so hot, was a problem. And I look at that and I say, but what about the NFL where, you know, if there's a New England Patriots game and it's negative five, people are going to be there. So uh, it's it's a, you know, it, it's a, it's a fa- fair point to to an extent, but, you know, if the product's really good on the racetrack, I don't think we'd have a problem selling that. But uh, it, definitely, Weston, it was, it was interesting to see, um, you know, just because, like I said, New Hampshire's a track that always sells out well. And it, what, what, it's not a surprise in NASCAR in general because we've seen attendance dwindling in this sport for a while now. Uh, for a number of different reasons we won't dive into. We dive into, I feel like, every week. But New Hampshire was always it was rock solid, sold out, it seemed like, every week. And it's interesting. I feel like SMI, as soon as they kind of got their hands on it, low, maybe, maybe higher the ticket prices a little bit, 
uh, and it, attendance went down. Anything else you want to talk about today, Wes? Yeah, I mean, they, they hired ticket prices, and they also they've made promises that they haven't really, you know, delivered on. I mean, I think it was, I want to say it was 2012 or 2013 back when they did driver introductions. They, um, it was Jerry Gappins back when he was president. He came out, and he was talking mm-hmm. about how New Hampshire was going to get lights, and then by this year, the July race would be a night race. And I mean, I think if you make that July race a Saturday night race, move the Xfinity race to that Friday night, you could get a lot more. I mean, you still probably wouldn't sell it out because, like you said, a lot more people would choose the chase race over the July race. But, I mean, you got to give it a little bit of a little bit of a chance. You know, maybe put some lights in, make it a night race. I mean, that's what we've been talking about in this New England area for the last two years, just, you know, maybe give that a shot. And I know there's money involved with that, but I feel like Bruton definitely has the money to put up, and you got to give it a shot. Absolutely. Well, I think the, well, the other thing is right probably now. some of the things that Bruton was looking at possibly doing at New Hampshire, um, the Kentucky repave, redesign, and all that stuff went into it. Plus, NASCAR is trying to go away from night racing like, yeah, because they really think that the racing product during the day is much better because you have the slick track, you have the conditions being into it at night races, you got grip out the kazoo and the horsepower out the kazoo, and it's more than the cars can really handle. I mean, more than the cars can handle. It's just too good. There's no passing at night. I mean, you look at most of the night races you see, we have, I mean, that's when we're really talking about yawners. At least at New Hampshire, I mean, yes, it's the one thing that would be really nice if they had, like, a Richmond-like banking in the corner. But then that's more money going in. But the night race, I don't really see Bruton going that direction because he just reinvested a boatload of money into Kentucky. And for what, I mean, especially with the crowd this weekend, I don't see him going crazy to add more stuff into it. September's race, it'll be packed. It'll be pretty close to sold out, if not sold out. And it'll be the racing that we're used to, but we they need to do something with the turns to either put some sort of banking in there to help the drivers out and give them a second groove, or it's going to be the same way as it's always been. It's going to be the ultimate track position race. Yeah, and Not that's something else we're talking nine. about there. Just Yeah, like even 10 more degrees for that track, and you could just have one more lane, and it would just make all the difference. So, I mean... I don't know. I I still love the track. I'll I'll be back there in September, and I'll probably head back for both races next year. But I just I was it, it was pretty alarming to not see. I mean, of now the eighty. I think they moved took out grandstands in turn four, so it was about eighty thousand seats. I think only about half of them were sold, and that that was just very alarming to see. It was. Listen, I I totally agree. I think just because like like I said, New Hampshire's a track that usually sells very very well. And I thought when I saw the crowd initially when I first went on on the TV, I was like, oh, well, they're just in the infield. And then it didn't really fill in as much. You're like, wow, <laughs> this is New Hampshire. Hold on a second. But uh, And, I mean, the one thing of that is you see a boatload of people in the campgrounds. And the campgrounds, the president of New Hampshire Motor Speedway was on with Moody last week. And, or he was on with, um, I'm sorry, he was on with... Um, Pat Patterson Saturday morning and said the campgrounds have been sold out for a couple of weeks. How many of them have satellite dishes in their campers and said, I'm going to sit my butt in the air conditioning and watch it in the recliner and drink beer here so I don't have to pay the prices. I mean, yeah, oh, that I'm... might be a third of the crowd that didn't go in. Well, maybe. And uh, I think, uh, you know, if they're getting their money that way, that's okay. But there's only so much space you can camp with, too. So, again, you know, you have to wonder about the Sunday crowd and whether the weather had anything to do with that. It was just, you know, usually it's sold out in a campground and sold out in a racetrack and everything's great. It was just a little warming, like I said, for New Hampshire, which is a track that's normally rock solid. Uh, just a little warming to see that for sure. Wes, and plus there were thunderstorms in the area where everybody was thinking it. I mean, they put it into hurry-up mode where they were actually hoping they could get to halfway before the thunderstorms came through thunderstorms didn't make it through to what six seven o'clock at night so they got the full race in with no problem but they were talking thunderstorms and everything and hoping to get to halfway yeah i mean it it poured there about 4 a.m i mean we 
I, I thought I was freight trains coming by the camper. It was raining so bad, and I thought we were going to have to postpone it to Monday, but it did. It cleared out. So, yeah, weather definitely could have been a factor. And, but, yeah, so thank you, guys. Just want to call and give my give my thoughts on the, the state of NHMS as it is. Hey, we appreciate it. We appreciate it, Weston. Great call. Thanks a lot. Western, One other thing, Clayton, uh, as we look at, I mean, when we look at at New Hampshire with uh, the way things are, that's the first time they've gone there with the low downforce package. Give true. them till September. They're going to tune on the cars. They're going to adjust to what they learn. Some of them were probably experimenting, trying to figure out what they're going to do oh, in absolutely. September. And absolutely. you're going to have a much better race in September because it'll be the second time back with that package. Yeah, I think that's had a lot to do with it too, John. Where there was a lot of people, even I think Logano admitted it. Joey Logano admitted it several times this weekend. Hey, we're kind of trying something new for the chase. Uh, so definitely something that had a lot to do with it. Where maybe you know they weren't. Everybody's going to be on top of their game when they go to New Hampshire in September, and they might not have been. They might have been trying something here in July. Uh, as we're, speaking of the chase, we get there right now. We're looking at the points for the chase. If the chase started today, Dale Earnhardt Jr. would be in. He'd be the last car, and he's 15th in points right now. Tony Stewart, obviously, he's moved his way up into the point standings. Uh, I think he's 28th right now or 29th. So he's, she has to go to 15th uh, in the point standings to uh, count the guys who are in the chase. But Dale Jr. would be in, but I think he's going to miss this race in Indianapolis, John Harlow. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit more about it later, but I really believe he's going to miss the race in Indianapolis as well. So he's only 14 points ahead of Trevor Bain in 16th, and 16th points ahead of Ryan Blaney in 17th. Uh, Casey Kane's 18th, he's 22 points back, and Kyle Larson is 19th, 25 points back. I think those are the only four cars who have a shot at making the chase in on points. But very interesting because Bain was a guy who I think a lot of people had written off because uh, he was just too far back in points, but now that Junior is potentially is going to miss this race in Indianapolis, and maybe even more after that, uh, it brings Trevor Bain right back into the picture. He's had a pretty decent year here. He didn't have a great day on Sunday, but he ended up okay. He finished okay. Uh, he's had a pretty decent year here, Trevor Bain, trying to be the only rash card to get in the chase. And like I said, he's 14 points out. Ryan Bellini, 16 points out. Then he got Kane, 22, and Larson, 25 points back. It's going to be a dogfight there these last couple of races as we get to, to Richmond as to who makes this chase in on the points. I think um... – Bain has had a respectable season, but I still don't think he's going to be the one to get into the bunch behind him. If there's anybody out of that group, I think it'll be either Ryan Blaney or it'll be Kyle Larson. I think both of those guys, I mean, Blaney has the cars under him. He's just had a couple uh, unfortunate incidents lately. But I think if there's anybody who's got the shot at it, I think Blaney's got the best car of the bunch, and I think Larson has the best chance of sneaking in with a win. So it'll be interesting to see. But, I, I mean, if Junior misses this week, he's out. He won't make the chase because missing this, I mean, missing two races, if not more, is going to hurt him as they go down the line. Yeah, and he's got to win a race when he comes back. If he comes back, you know, there's talk that a lot of people think he might miss the entire year, where I don't believe that's going to happen. But there's some people who out who who there who might think that. Um, but, you know, as far as Bain goes, Bain's had a decent year. You know, he's uh, finished 13th at Pocono, 15th at Michigan, 3rd at Daytona, 11th at Kentucky. So he's run off some pretty top, pretty good top 15 finishes. He keeps doing that. He might be okay. Kane's an interesting guy as well because of the powerhouse that team is. But we haven't seen that team run really good recently. So uh, it's just something to keep an eye on as we keep on going here, this, this chase cutoff. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. being out, like I said, uh, it kind of opens up the, the playing field here for four guys who I don't think anybody thought had a shot without a win. Um, but Blaney, again, I agree with you. I think Ryan's got the cars. He's a rookie, though, going to some of these racetracks for the first time, going to Pocono again, which he's been there again. Uh, you know, he hasn't run at Darlington yet, so it's going to be interesting to see what, he, what performance he puts out. But he's got great race cars. Penske's on top of their game right now. They're rolling off good race cars. It seems like Blaney's been kind of snake bit a little bit here. But if he can rattle off a couple of top tens, I think he'll be in good shape as well. So, like I said, it's interesting to keep an eye on those guys who are uh, right there on the cusp of making a chase. You also got Stenhouse. He's 41 points back in 20th. That's not going to happen without a win. And then Almendinger, 21st. He's 43 points back. Those guys are going to be aren't, aren't going to make it. I don't believe without winning a race. Almendinger's got a great chance at winning Watkins Glen. He's won there in the past. He's a great road course racer. So, uh, the chase points right now, as we sit, are anywhere but being set. 
we also have some silly season rumors here, John. Um, it's interesting. Eric Jones has been linked to Furniture Racing here for a while. Uh, and the big rumor is now that Eric Jones will be going to Furniture Racing with 5-Hour Energy as sponsor. Uh, it seems like it's pretty close to a done deal. Uh, you know, it's just speculation out on Twitter I've read and stuff like that. Um, so what you, would you be, be your thoughts here if Jones moved into a second car? It sounds like it's going to be without a charter. Um, not that that needs a whole lot right now um, because there's only 40 cars in the field. But uh, what are your thoughts on Eric Jones moving to furniture racing in a second car with 5-Hour Energy as sponsor? Well, I think Eric Jones is only going to be at Furniture Row Racing until Matt Kenseth decides he's done racing because that's basically Kenseth holding up the spot that Jones would go into. I think five-hour energy surprises me. I figured if anybody was going to go, GameStop would have gone with him because with Eric Jones being the youngster that he is, I thought GameStop would have, it would have been a smart move for them to come up to Cup instead of sitting down there in the Xfinity series whenever they're on the 20 car. Um, that brings a big question into what does Clint Boyer bring to the table to Stuart Haas next year because Bass Pro Shops is basically out the door because Johnny Morris was sponsoring Tony Stewart. He wasn't sponsoring anybody else. And Tony, whenever he got hurt, basically told Johnny, hey, if you want to go to Martin for a while, go, go over there and sponsor some of the 78. That's no problem. Mobile One's up at the end of this year. Code 3 is up at the end of this year. Rush Truck Centers is up at the end of this year. I was thinking that 5-Hour Energy was going to bring something to the table to Stuart Haas Racing mm. to come with Clint Boyer, and they only have to fill the 12, 14 races that 5-Hour Energy doesn't do, which they could probably get Mobile One back again. But that makes yeah. it really interesting of where things go for Clint Boyer at the 14 car if 5-Hour Energy goes to 78 with... Eric Jones. Yeah, it is. It's very interesting. And, you know, another thing to keep in mind there is Clint's running now for H Motorsports and Harry Scott and our energy as a sponsor. So you have to wonder if they're going to do the one call with Michael Annette, keep their charter. They currently lease the charter for Annette from Cole Witz, number 9018. Uh, so maybe they don't lease that charter and run with just Annette as a solo car operation. And then you have to sit, sit there and wonder, will they run good enough to even compete with that team? Uh, Boyer's on a, you know, he got off to a really rough start. There was a lot of talk early on in the season about him being frustrated there. But if you look at his runs recently, he's actually run pretty good. Uh, he's up in the points. I think he's 25th or 24th in the points right now. He's running a lot better than where they where they started the year. Um, and, and that's good for somebody who's, like, uh, you know, going to move into Stuart Haas Racing next year. But 5-Hour Energy was going to have a major issue, I believe, with Monster Energy and Kirk Bush. They're, they're going to be teammates to him. So I think that's a big issue. Another guy to keep an another sponsor to keep an eye on, and we keep throwing this out there. They sponsored Clint Boyer at Atlanta earlier this year, and that's Aaron's, who kind of backed out of a deal at Michael Waltrip Racing, kind of sat out and said, "We're not totally leaving NASCAR, but we're going to sit out and kind of just wait and see what we do here for 2016. Maybe they can jump Clint Boyer, go to 2017 with Ford and Stuart Haas Racing and Clint Boyer, and that's the sponsor that fills it up. Uh, it's a possibility, but a lot of stuff to take in there if this rumor is true, five-hour energy with Eric Jones at Furniture Row Racing. I think that Aaron's is a possibility, but I also think Aaron's will sit back and say, you know, Clint, you're the one that scratched your wrist that caused the whole fiasco to begin the Michael Waltrip implosion. Fair point. Maybe we go somewhere else and don't bring that back to light again. Um not sure what's going to happen there. I think it's possible, but, I mean, you look, five-hour energy is only spending 24 races right now with Clint Boyer. I don't know if they're going to go a full 24 with Eric Jones over there at Furniture Row because they're starting a car from scratch, so they're probably going to ask for more money than yeah. they have from anybody else. I mean, Barney Visser has basically floated all of this stuff out of his own pocket. Now Truex is actually starting to get sponsors on the 78 car. I think he's going to want <coughs> full sponsorship or he's not going to go. Yeah, and it, but it, Toyota, interesting. Toyota's also pushing this one. Oh, yeah, they are. And they want to keep their young driver, Jones, because if they, they know if Jones doesn't get into a Sprint Cup car, some Sprint Cup Series owner will say, you know what, we'll find room for you. 
you know, with Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s future questions in the air, you have to wonder if Hendrick Motorsports will say, you know, if you keep Jones in the Xfinity Series next year, hey, we've got a pretty darn good ride over here with the 88 that was unexpectedly open. You're a great driver. Come drive the 88 car, and, and Joe gives us saying, eh, eh, you know, they have to get him in the cup car pretty soon because you don't want – and that's what happened with Toyota with Kyle Larson. They had to get Larson, you know, and, and to Ganassi. Ganassi had to get Larson in the cup car or some other team was going to put him in there. So uh, it's definitely an interesting topic to – to, to discuss uh, 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles. Another possibility that I've read this weekend is Ryan Newman. Newman's contract up at Richard Childress Race at the end of the 2016 season. Um, a lot of speculation. I was doing some chatting on Twitter with a uh, Ryan Newman fan group about where he might go for 2016, 2017. I personally think him and RCR will get something done, but Right now, you're getting to a point in this season where if they don't get something done soon, you have to start figuring that maybe Ryan Newman isn't going to be at RCR next year. And there's not a lot of options for Ryan Newman right now. I know Jamie McMurray is in a final year of his contract at Chip Ganassi Racing. Maybe he re-signs there. You know, you have to kind of weigh whether McMurray is a better driver than Ryan Newman. And then the only other option I can see Ryan Newman going to maybe is Richard Petty Motorsports in F43. Eric Amarola is in the final year of his contract. And I think Newman, with his experience and, and everything he brings to the table, his engineering degree, he could really help that 43 team kind of strive to get to the next level there. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on as well as what Ryan Newman's future is. And Ryan Newman's a very, very good driver. I think he's a guy, and I've talked to Lee from Virginia off, off there about this, and he puts it perfectly. He's a guy who you know where you are when you have Ryan Newman as your driver because either you're winning races or you need to improve because Ryan Newman races in the right stuff. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if he can't get a ride in the Sprint Cup Series, we have a big problem because he's a very good driver. He's a very, very talented driver, and I think some, somebody will get something done for him, but if RCR doesn't get it done, it's going to be interesting to see where Newman gets gets going here, and it, we'll, we'll have to figure that out here, I think, in the next month, uh, and if they don't, he's going elsewhere. We'll get to see how good Angie Skinner is because, Every time Newman has needed a sponsor, yeah. Angie Skinner has found the sponsor for him. I mean, she's one of the ones that brought right. Quicken Loans to the table, but then Quicken Loans goes to Hendrick Motorsports for less rides or less car. I mean, less time on the car. I mean, they only run in five races, I believe, with Kane this year. Casey, but it yeah. seems like she's able to get a sponsor for Newman when he needs it. She brought Wheelan to the table this year. And a couple of the other ones. Part the main deal is whoever Caterpillar wants. If Caterpillar is comfortable with Ryan Newman as their spokesperson, and considering Ryan Newman, I think has one of everything that Caterpillar's ever built at his house whenever he built the uh, rescue ranch. <laughs> I yeah. think Caterpillar is like, hey, this is the perfect guy to speak for our product. I don't know if Caterpillar's comfortable with Ty Dillon in that car as much and as that's the option. Yeah. Papa wants to put Ty in a cup car. I'm not sure that Caterpillar is comfortable with Ty Dillon being the spokesperson for Caterpillar. Uh, Paul Menard's another one out there. If I mean, he's got the money to go wherever he wants to go if he's still comfortable with Childress or if he thinks he's getting the least, the worst of the stuff. And if I'm Paul Menard, I'm kind of not happy because my crew chief was Slugger Lappy. He decides yeah. he wants to come off the road, and six weeks later, he's on Austin's crew, bo- Austin's pit box. And right. Paul Menard's bringing all the money to the table to sponsor that car and hopefully have the best ride possible out of it. So, I mean, if I'm Paul Menard, that's something I'm looking at because you never know. There is two openings. If Roger Penske really wants to do it, and if the money comes in, Roger Penske will go to a third team and a fourth team. And if Paul Menard, I mean, if uh, John Menard calls up Roger Penske the next time, I mean, whenever they go to Indy and says, hey, uh, the boy would like to run for you, I wonder if there would be a third Penske car next year. Yeah, it's interesting because – there's not a lot of movement that can go around right now with the chartering system. Now, you can run four cars, obviously, uh, without the charter and get into the field, but, you know, eventually that's going to run out. So these teams, it's going to be interesting. It's going to really be interesting because there's a lot of charters out there that aren't being, you know, that are with teams that aren't very good, that teams that struggle. You know, H. Scott's got one. They're, they're a team that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. 
And that 32 team, which I don't know if we touched on in the show or not, they're going to be aligned with an organ with a top-notch organization next year. They've come out and said that. I believe it's going to be Richie Petty Motorsports. I think they're going to align with Richie Petty Motorsports. I think they're going to. I think their driver will probably be Jeb Burton, and Jeb Burton will drive that 32 full-time next year with an association with RPM. That's complete speculation on my part, but I believe that will happen. Um, but you know, that's a charter that's not going anywhere either. So. With these chartering systems, you know, if you bring up two teams, if Penske runs two teams without charters, they can knock each other out eventually. You know, it's just it's going to be very interesting because there's not a lot of movement to go around, and there's some drivers out there now who, like Ryan Newman, who's in the final year of his contract, who's a very good driver, has got a great track record, and there's just not a lot of seats open. Where you know, if this was two years ago and we had the chartering system, you say, well, you know, you, you just create a third team at Penske and you'll be fine. You'll get the points somewhere, and eventually you get the points and everything will be fine. But uh, without a chartering system, you know, you got Jones without a charter, the Wood Brothers without one, um, and, you know, the list goes on and on and on where we might have 42 cars, and if you have a bad week in qualifying, you can go home. So, um, And they don't make nearly as much money without charters as they would with the charters. So that means the sponsor's going to have to really kick in a lot of money. Um, so it's interesting, again, to keep your eyes out for that. Uh, we won't know, probably won't know anything until at least Darlington, I don't think, with any of those two moves, but just something to keep an eye on here as the silly season goes forward. Okay, um, as we get ready for Indianapolis, there's, you know, we, our show was on Wednesday, and Thursday morning there was a blockbuster announcement uh, about Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon will drive the number 88 Chevrolet this weekend if Dale Earnhardt Jr. cannot go on Sunday at Indianapolis due to concussion-like symptoms. Now, John, I read a lot of stuff today about what Jr. said on this Dirty Mo podcast about him being, you know, still feeling the dizzy sensations, I would be stunned if Dale Earnhardt Jr. drove this rate this weekend at Indianapolis. I really would be. So to me, that means Dale, Jeff Gordon will drive that 88 car, come out of retirement, and run the 88 Chevrolet. Uh, do you like this move for Hendrick Motorsports? Do you think it's right, or do you think they should put a young kid in this car? I think it's the best move you could possibly make. Um, Jeff Gordon's won at Indy five times. Jeff Gordon's last run at Indy, he finished 42nd because he got caught up in the mess early. If I'm Jeff Gordon and I want to run one more race and Jeff Gordon cut his teeth on the sprint car dirt tracks in Indiana and he made his name before he came down south running Thursday Night Thunder with the sprints and midgets on pavement in Indiana, where are you going to run your one-off if you have... Oh, by the way... We want you to come run for us again at Hendrick Motorsports. Oh, yeah, sign me up. I'm going to do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> Gordon loves Indy. Gordon, and even Tony Stewart said he loves the opportunity to possibly run against Jeff one more time. So that'll make it interesting if Junior's not healthy. But listening to Junior's podcast, and I actually listened to it before we went on the air tonight, he said he passed his impact test already. So the brain's functioning well. He's having nausea and balance issues. That's an inner ear infection or vertigo. That's not a concussion. But, I mean, because if he's passed his impact test, he's fine or he really goofed it up or didn't put much effort into it when they first took it. But if if it's vertigo, that could be the whole season. If it's an inner ear infection, it could be a couple weeks. Right. It might be worse. I mean, because if he's passing his impact tests, he may go the way that the kid uh, Matt Tiff did for Joe Gibbs. There might be something in the brain that nobody really knows about that the MRI and CAT scans are going to find. But, I mean, passing the impact test is the first thing to getting back on the track. So if he's got that done, I'm borderline scared because – you don't know what's causing it, and if you don't know what's causing it, you have no idea how to treat it, and you have no clue when you're going to get back. So Dale Jr.'s chase chances are basically out the window right now because I do not see anything happening other than a Wednesday late afternoon announcement that Jeff Gordon will be driving the 88 car. Yeah, I think Indianapolis he's definitely driving. I, I, I or Dale's definitely out. I really do, and I hate to burst that bubble, but I just don't see him coming back. With what he was talking about, like his symptoms and still, that still means, you know, they still don't know 100% what's going on there. Um, and a lot of people, like I said earlier in the show, I've read some things 
Um, I know, uh, like I said to you earlier, my fiance is a gigantic Dale Earnhardt Jr. fan. She brought this up as well where, you know, does he sit out the remainder of the tw- – if he misses Indianapolis and misses the following week at Pocono, does he sit out the rest of the 2017 season and you sit there and go, you know what, I'll let Alex Bowman see what he can do. We can see, can really get a good grasp on him and whether or not he's going to be a Cup Series driver. I'm going to get focused for 2017. I'm going to sit out the rest of this year, really get healthy, and then come back with vengeance in 2017. Do you think that's an option right now, John? I think uh, Junior's one of them one. Health is option one. And to figure out even more of why Jeff Gordon would be in the 88 car this week, Exalta is the sponsor of the 88 this week. So it'd be like Jeff Gordon could bring out his old fire suit and not have to think about anything because all the things that's a number. I think Junior is one of those ones, and I think it was really cool that Fred Lorenzen has said he will donate his brain for the CTE study because Fred's suffering from Alzheimer's or dementia, and they're wondering how much of that came from his wrecks whenever he was in. So because Junior's doing what he's doing, Fred Lorenzen, a legend in the sport, is going to donate his brain whenever he passes. I think Mm. the smartest thing Junior can do is make sure he's right. I mean, if you remember when Ernie Irvin first came back and he still had the eye patch on and everybody's like swerving Irvin and worried about what he's going to be, Ernie came back fast because Ernie needed the money. Junior doesn't need the money. Junior is fine. He will... He will die a rich man 40 years from now. His his children and grandchildren will be rich kids because Dale Earnhardt Jr. and his sister have managed everything well. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to be in the car. He's going to do it when it's right. He's not going to risk himself or the other 39 guys on the track just to be hard-headed and get in the car. I think I could, I'm I mean, great on Dale Jr. for taking his health the safety of the other drivers, and the safety of him and his team, putting them first over sponsor obligations, um, worrying about whether he makes a chase or not, and things like that. Yeah, I think uh, my last question here to you, and it's interesting because I think you brought up a good point about Exalta. I think Exalta really wanted Jeff Gordon in the car this weekend. I really do. I think, um, And I think his sponsors pay a lot of money to be on that car, about a million and a half to a race I think they kind of dictate who's in that car, and absolutely that's the way it's run. My question to you is this. If Dale does miss additional weeks besides Indianapolis, do you see Jeff Gordon doing more than just Indianapolis, or do you think he's going to do Indianapolis? Because, like I said, and you hit the nail on the head, he's great here. This is one of his best race tracks, kind of his hometown track. He won the first race ever here. He's been in the mall. He's great. I mean, what do you say about Dale and, or Jeff Gordon in Indianapolis? It's, it's phenomenal. Um, do you see him maybe running more additional races, or – uh, do you think they're just going to give it to Bowman if they'll miss the well, Rick, races? Well, Rick Hendrick has gone on the record this past weekend of saying if they have a choice and Jeff Gordon's willing to do it, Jeff Gordon will be in the car if it's not Dale Jr. I mean, Alex Bowman, the only reason he was in the car this weekend is because Jeff Gordon and his family were vacationing in France. Yeah. I think Jeff Gordon is a part owner of Team Hendrick, I mean, of Hendrick Motorsports, Jeff Gordon helped make Hendrick Motorsports. Jeff Gordon believes in the survival of Hendrick Motorsports. He's still going to the competition meetings. He's a part owner of Jimmy Johnson's car. I mean, Jeff Gordon loves Mr. H, and Jeff Gordon will do anything he can to help Mr. H in a moment of need. And not having Dale Jr. on the track and keeping the sponsors who are paying big bucks to be on Dale Jr.'s car happy, I think the sponsor is like, oh, we can't have Dale Jr., but we get Jeff Gordon? Okay, we'll live with that. But we can't yeah, have absolutely. Dale Jr., but here's Alex Bowman. Huh? Who's he? <laughs> yeah, and it's unfortunate. He doesn't even have a full-time Bowman. ride for Junior Motorsports, mm-hmm. but we're going to put him in the car. So I think yeah, most, I like most of the sponsors are saying that. I think Alex Bowman was in the car this weekend because he and him and Junior are about the same height. Him and Junior, they didn't really have to switch, put a whole bunch of seat changes in there or anything. They didn't have to change the car to how everybody sits. I mean, Gordon's shorter than Junior, so they're going to have to adjust the car, which means they have to know by Wednesday before they move the seat up and back, all that stuff, and get it in for Gordon. 
So they'll probably announce Wednesday afternoon, but they're already probably making changes to the car tomorrow that Jeff Gordon's going to end up being in that 88. And it could be for the foreseeable future. Maybe. I mean, it should be interesting to see as as we get more information here down the line as far as what goes on. But it's a very interesting subject. Um, A great race coming up on Wednesday night, John. NASCAR Camping Truck Series, Eldora race, 38 trucks, dirt race, NASCAR Camping Trucks on dirt. Great race. We've got Kenny Schrader down, Stuart Friesen down, uh, Christopher Bell, Bobby Pierce, Nico Abreu, all great dirt guys. Um, interesting a little tidbit here from John Westanley. He's out again this weekend. He also has what has been reported as concussion-like symptoms, but we haven't really heard anything from that camp yet about that. It's just been kind of more speculated than anything. Uh, there could be a little bit more to that. I think there might be a little bit more to that. I won't get into details of what I believe, but uh, just keep your eye out as far as Townley goes, um, if he gets in this car anytime in the near future. But uh, what's your whole opinion here on this outdoor weekend, John? I know Tony Stewart's your guy. He owns the racetrack. He'll be there Wednesday night. What do you, what's your opinion on outdoor? I personally can't wait for it. Uh, that's the one race a year I don't miss. I can miss a cup race and have a problem and be able to sleep at night. I don't miss Eldora. I am a creature of the dirt. I've loved wings cars. If you give me my choice, I would have loved to have been in Eldora this past weekend for the Kings Royal. I love this racing. I love the way Schrader runs it. I mean, can you have you ever seen anything more exciting than when Kyle Larson hit the wall every lap for the last 15 laps of that feature and still almost won it. And Kyle Larson's in this year. Yeah, that's so amazing. Yeah, he, is. He, he wants to win. He wants to win that dirt driller. He wants to win that dirt track trophy. And I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait till Wednesday night. And it's. I think it's the best race of the year. And I thank God nobody has said, I mean, they keep saying it all the time, but nobody's done it. This is the one-off that is worth watching. I don't want to see I agree. Xfinity on there. I don't want to see Cup on dirt. I love the way the trucks do it. I think the trucks have the best racing right now as it is, but I love seeing these guys on dirt. I, I agree with you. I think it, and it, it, to do too much, I don't think Cup, you know, as far as how long those races go and stuff like pit crews and all that kind of stuff, it'd just be a mess. But trucks can get away with it. They're shorter races. I think you can get away with it. They do a great job. It's, it's always a fun weekend to watch. I love the heats and everything. Uh, it's, Stuart Friesen is going to be an interesting guy. He's a guy who's up here in the Northeast who I'm very familiar with. Runs on my local track in Middletown, New York. Um, but he's a guy who uh, it might potentially win more, run more camping or truck series races. There's rumors he might go to Indian, or New, New Hampshire as well uh, and maybe even Pocono. But uh, he doesn't have any points, so he's got to race his way in as well. So um, that's going to be fun, to, a lot of fun to watch on Wednesday night. Last two minutes of the show here, John, I want to get your opinion on Indianapolis. Um, a lot of people in this sport don't really care. A lot of fans in this sport, I should say, don't really care for Indianapolis. They view it as a very boring race. Uh, what are your thoughts on NASCAR going to Indianapolis Motor Speedway? Do you like it? Do you like the racing it produces? What are your thoughts on Indianapolis and NASCAR? I think when it first got there, it was a spectacle just because they were running Indianapolis. And they still haven't managed to get the right tire-downforce combination. I think with this low-downforce package they've been running, we've been seeing good races in a lot of places we haven't seen them in a long time. I think Goodyear's been doing better since that tire debacle. That was the worst thing that ever happened to Indianapolis, because remember, it used to be three, 400,000 people every time they showed up, and this weekend, if they get eighty five, ninety thousand 90,000 there, it'll be impressive, but it'll look like True. nobody's there. But I think Indy's got a shot at being a good race. I see one of the things you look at, a lot of times, Indy is one of those places where you see the cup champion come out of it. Kyle Busch won Indy mm-hmm. last year. Kyle Busch won the cup. Johnson, when he wins Indy, Johnson wins the cup. Stewart, when he Usually, won yeah. Indy. Stewart won the cup. So, I mean, this is a tough track, and you find out how good your team and how good your equipment is. 
I agree. I think it's uh, it's a, you know, it's hard for me to, to put this up there with the Southern 500 and the Daytona 500 because I'm not an IndyCar guy. But um, it, it's a, it's an interesting race. I love this. I think this track is beautiful. I love the canyon, the grandstands. I think all that's good. But uh, the racing, like you said, it's been subpar recently. I'd like to see it, see if they can hit the nail on the head with this low downforce package. I want to thank John Harlow for another great show here on Talking Circles. Thank the fans for listening and for Weston for calling the show. We'll see you next time on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.